0: You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast, the number one tax podcast for real estate investors.
1: Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam.
0: Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. Today, we're joined with Gino Barbaro, multifamily investor, business owner, author, and entrepreneur to discuss Gino's story and how his team avoided disaster and thrived in multifamily during 2023, multifamily investing in 2024, tips for getting started, and navigating the landscape. We also dive into how Gino looks at the tax benefits of real estate investing. Plus, we have an update on 100% bonus depreciation, and we also discuss a lot more. We'll be diving into all of that in just one minute. Hey, are you planning to self-file your 2023 tax return and extend it beyond April 15th? If so, don't worry. This is a very common practice and it's often better to extend your return than file and amend it later. That's where the Tax Extension Masterclass on February 6th at 12 PM Eastern comes in. Ryan will guide you step by step, simplifying the 1040 extension process for you. Registration is normally $97, but you can register for only $27 with a trial to Tax Smart Insiders. And by the end of this masterclass, you will know exactly how to file your extension for your individual tax return. if you're interested, register by going to www.taxsmartinvestors.com masterclass. The replay will be available for registrants in case you can't attend live. Again, you can register by going to www.taxsmartinvestors.com masterclass. And if you're already a TaxSmart Insider, this is included in your membership. So go ahead and check Circle for your registration link. We'll see you there, but for now, we'll dive right into today's episode. Hey, Gino, thanks for joining us on the show today. I know you've been on the show before. You've done things for our insiders group, but it's always new listeners, new people jumping to the game. For those who may not know about you, what you have going on, could you give us just a quick overview of your background, how you got involved with multifamily real estate? Wow. (laughs) We could be spending an hour just on that question. I'm going to give a quick, let's say 45
2: second overview. I'm part of Jake and Gino. I'm the Gino in Jake and Gino, and I was the pizza guy before I met Jake. And when I met Jake in 2009, he was the drug rep. He was the guy coming into my restaurant, taking out catering orders and going to doctor's offices and selling his legal pharmaceuticals. And back then he loved the job, but just like me, he was was on the hamster wheel every week having to produce. And he started hating that grind as, as I did. And in 2011, he moved to Knoxville, Tennessee. And as you know, Thomas, us New Yorkers, we didn't know where Knoxville, Tennessee was 10 years ago, 15 yeah. years ago. We, <laughs> we just didn't. So I'm like, when you get there, brother, let's pull out the laptop and let's look at some deals. And lo and behold, I'm looking at these deals at 30,000 a unit. These things are cash flowing. I'm like, Jake, you hit the mother load, man. Let's start investing in deals. And I just thought we we're going to be off the races. And it wasn't so. It took us 18 months to find the first deal. And I can tell you a plethora of reasons why. I mean, we didn't know how to invest. We didn't know how to talk to brokers. We were Stenziano in Barbaro in East Tennessee back in 2011. Y'all ain't doing business down here. I mean, it was, it was difficult, but it was our lack of knowledge and our lack of credibility. And then when we bought that first deal after 18 months, Everything started changing for us. We got the buy right, the manage right, and the finance right framework that we've talked about on your show and in your insiders as well. But understanding that real estate was a business and understanding how to source deals, how to source capital, that all started coming into play. And you know, within the last 10 years or so, we've been able to accumulate over 2,200 units, over 350 million in assets under management, but it was a slow grind in the beginning. And I think those of you who are listening to this, when you're starting out in multifamily, it may be challenging in the beginning, but for Jake and myself, once we really understood that it was a business and that the brokers were the gatekeepers of these deals, and that there was a framework to follow, it, it did become a lot easier for us.
0: No, that's amazing, and and I love your story. Everything you're going on, your podcast is awesome, the Wheel of, of Profits podcast. Before we jumped into the show today, uh, you were mentioning about how you guys had the best year ever, one of your best years ever in 2023. Despite the fact that the rest of the market seemingly, uh, the rest of the multifamily market was having a lot of issues, especially the syndicators, uh, you know, capital calls, pausing distributions. So could you kind of walk us through a little bit about how that happened? Like how is 23 your best year?
2: The amazing thing about it is that was preceded by a lot of not so many good years. I mean, let's go back to like 2007, 2008. It's eerily similar to what happened in 2021 and 2022. There was this euphoria. Everyone's doing deals. Everyone's making money. And the people who know the business know that something's going to change. And I learned my lesson back in 06, 07, and 08. That's the reality. The reality is that I learned the lessons. I learned with Jake, started investing. So like I once again started following that map the process that we had. And in 2020 and 2021, we were just reviewing the amount of deals we did. In 2020, we did 105 units. There was three deals. 2021, same thing, 100 units. Last year, 106 units. We averaged between three and 400 units a year. And last year in 2023, we did 333 units, spread over three deals. And, And the difference for us was that these deals started making sense and we started connecting with broker brokers and also with but you know sellers off market. Finally, in 2023, the people that had to sell wanted to sell. And we did not get caught up in short-term bridge financing. That's one of the big sticklers that you're gonna hear. There's a lot of debt coming due, you know. In 08, I would have fallen for that if I had. If, and I wasn't using bridge debt back then, but I was making other bad decisions. And when you get caught up in that euphoria and you start looking at deals and you're saying to yourself, this deal doesn't work today, but maybe in three years it may work that's not investing, that's speculating. So we sort of pushed that to the side. We've been promoting long-term fixed rate financing for the last three or four years. And ironically enough, I go online today, or actually it was yesterday, Jake sent me the post over, and you have this massive media influencer. His, his initials are GC, for those of you who know what I'm talking about. And he's talking about buy right. And he's talking about buying for the long-term. Whereas a couple of years ago, he was talking about cash is trash. So now I guess it's trendy and it's sexy to talk about buying for the long-term and buying right. Whereas two years ago, it was unknown. It wasn't even unheard of. And that's really the the principles that I'd like to really discuss is what are your buying criterias? What does that look like? And and financing, don't go for that short-term fixed rate financing, especially if you're a novice. If you've only done one or two deals, there's a lot of risk in that. Because when that debt comes due and all of a sudden rates went from 3.5% to 9%, and oh, by the way, all of your expenses just exploded as well, and rent didn't go up 20% this year, it only went up 3%, there you can see a lot of the problems that you know a lot of the operators have had in the market over the last two years.
0: Why do you think people got into that trouble to begin with? Like, Was it just the fact that the Fed just hiked interest rates like really quickly and they didn't expect it, or like how did it happen?
2: <laughs> well, let's take a step back into the last seven or eight years. When the Federal Reserve keeps interest rates at zero... What that does is it creates euphoria. There's a lot of money chasing assets and private equity gets into multifamily because they're like, we need to make money. So they start viewing multifamily as an alternative asset and they start pumping money into that asset class. And when there's more demand for the asset class, prices rise. So when you're buying stabilized deals that don't make sense on bridge debt, because you have to, because they're not stabilized. So you have to get some type of bridge financing. The problem is rates are so cheap money is so cheap the cost of capital is two 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 and a half three percent for a lot of these companies and they think it's never going to end you can blame interest rates going up but like i said once again go back to oh six oh seven rates had to go up because there was a bubble coming And, and going back into 2021 2022 i challenge anybody listening to this right now who thought inflation was transitory i mean honestly Whoever said inflation is strange, though we had some of the smartest minds in the country saying that. And if anybody's operating a business when you can't buy a rental car, when you can't go out and you need a year and a half to buy a Porsche, or you, you know, you don't have enough chips for this. And give me a break. So when inflation is rampant, the job of the Federal Reserve is to actually, you know, raise rates to tamp down inflation. And it just so happens it happens it. they did it so quickly and they shocked the system. You can blame that. But sooner or later, that was going to happen. And people would not have stopped getting bridge debt until that happened. And unfortunately, it happened so quickly that it took a lot of operators, you know, by surprise. And Jake and I were like, sooner or later, rates got to go up, rates got to go up. We just, we thought the market, honestly, Tom, for us, we thought the market was at a high in 2019. That's what we thought. Because we had gone through the entire cycle from going down from 2011 all the way seeing these assets run to 19, we're like, it can't go anymore. You can never establish when the market high is. The only time you can tell me when the market has hit a high is when you look back and go, oh, second quarter of 2022, that's when the high was. Now we're down probably 13% from where the high was, but you can't never predict where the high is. You can just have certain indicators of what's going on. And as interest rates go up, what they're trying to do is they're trying to slow the economy down and they did slow the economy down and the cost of capital got more expensive and anybody who had that bridge financing and they didn't have rate caps or the rate caps expired those are the operators that you know that are that are experiencing big problems right now
3: i think some people are probably also wondering like maybe newer investors are probably like what the heck is bridge financing do you mind explaining what it's, is bridge financing yes. Yeah, we'll Sorry
2: about that. Just, just think of a bridge. Think of a bridge from here to over there. You need some type of temporary short-term financing to get from point A to point B. And the reason why you need that bridge financing is because that deal sucks, because it's only 60% occupied. There's not enough income. The debt coverage ratio is below a 1.2. Some of these deals are below a 1.0 where you're not even making enough money in the deal to pay the mortgage, right? So a bank is not going to give you financing. They're going to give you temporary financing. And a lot of these, you know, investors went out and got what we call that bridge financing, which is non-recourse in many instances. It's 24 months of interest only. So when you're looking back at it in 2021 you're like i'm a champ i got two years to do this deal i'm getting it at three and a half percent don't worry 24 months is a long way down the road and i may be able to extend it another 12 months the problem is nobody's talking about this back in 2021 we had labor shortages we had material shortages we couldn't get windows so if you're trying to reposition a property you can't even get this property to go you can't find labor you can't find manpower to do it and it's slowing you down And then 24 months is already here and rates were at three. And like Thomas had just mentioned, rates went all the way up to eight. And now you're underwriting this deal at 8% and you can't refinance it because all of a sudden your expenses went up more than they should have because who knew insurance was going to double? Who knew payroll was going to go up 10%? Who knew that, you know- taxes were up ten and a half percent so that's what it is now Jake and I we use a certain type of bridge financing we'll use community banks and or credit unions they have a term of five years so we consider that sort of our minds as bridge because we're using that bridge from community or a credit union to get To agency. It's a lot less risky. It may cost a little bit more in the front end, but for us, and it is recourse. So we're personally guaranteeing it. It's not non recourse. But man, I'd rather have five years of personal recourse than having two years of non recourse rolling the dice and going, holy crap, my rate just. my my interest payments just tripled. I can't make this and what am I gonna do? And the other caveat to bridge financing is just please, anybody listening to this, read the fine print. It is so expensive to do bridge debt. The origination fees on the front end and then when you go out to refinance it, once you reposition this property, they're expensive as well. So understand that it's a great tool. And it's a great tool in the toolbox when you know that rates are going to stay more or less where you are. Back in 2016, 17, 18, 19, we had a really stable interest rate environment. That was a great time to use bridge financing. But I saw as early as 2019 and 20, I'm like, rates are starting to go up. There's going to be risk involved in here. And if you're not an excellent operator and you can't move with speed, there's going to be risk involved. Does that answer your question?
3: I think so. So then as you guys are looking at more acquisitions for yourselves. Are you finding good deals as far as those operators who bought use this bridge financing? And now you're looking to kind of come in and buy those? Or is that something that you guys are seeing a lot of already? Kind of this the year, answer, last
2: year. Yeah, the answer is not yet. And it depends. Yeah. The real question is I'll I'll put my attorney hat on right now. The real answer is it depends really what market you're in, because in markets like Houston, there's markets like Phoenix, maybe some in Nashville, where there's more distress and these operators pay these exorbitant prices. Where we are in Knoxville, there are, price, there are properties that are going to foreclosure or very close, but asset prices really haven't come down that much. I don't understand how people are going to buy these deals at these price points. That's, they're still sitting on the market and they're not distressed yet where they have to sell. You know what I'm saying? When they get to that point of having to sell, that's when you're gonna see the fire sell. It hasn't come yet in our market, but I know in other markets, it has come already. And you know, it's one of those things where it's not really often publicized. I mean, at one point back in September and October, there was the tsunami back in October of those multifamily loans coming due. And every day in the real deal, you had another person busting out or doing foreclosures. But those are deals that just, they they're get swept up, but you really have to be focused on your market specifically. And in our market, we're not seeing a lot of that opportunity yet.
3: So you're just always kind of looking for, hey, is this a good deal? Does this meet our criteria? Buy right? All those things. And then it, it's not so much a matter of, hey, we're just waiting on the sideline in order to go buy one of these more distressed properties. It's if it meets our criteria, fine. We don't need to go wait and just look for one of these distressed properties.
2: What I like to say is... Ryan, is you can always buy real estate. You can't always sell real estate. So we're always in buy mode. We're always looking for the opportunities and how you do that in multifamily. And this is important because one of the big distinctions between and differences between multifamily and single family homes is we don't have an MLS multifamily. And you know, brokers don't really share. It's really broker driven. For those smaller assets for the 10 units where Uncle Larry is listing his deal for his nephew. Yeah, you're going to find it on MLS. The Keller Williams is or the Remax of the world. But these larger assets, the 40, 50, 60 units, they really are broker driven. So if anybody's looking to get into multifamily, the first thing you need to do is to opt into every single broker within your market. Get on their lists, start talking to them, start doing property tours. And for us, the buyer criteria does change because back in 2013, we were buying out. Assets that were a lot older, a lot more distressed, because the prices were a lot cheaper. They're a lot more affordable. They made a lot more sense. Asset prices came up in value. You're seeing prices, you know, in the C range, which were you know properties built 1970s and later. The older assets are really comparable to the newer assets. So why would I buy an older asset? Have all of that risk? Have all of that work? When I can buy something a little bit newer. So, our criteria has changed and it really depends upon the market that you're in. But we're always looking for opportunities. And we're not just looking to see opportunities that, you know, you have problems, like you said, with the foreclosure market. There's a lot of people out there that, when you've been doing it for a while, they will reach out to you. And you will have brokers that will reach out to you and say, I've got this property. It's not on the market yet. what they consider a pocket listing, they'll reach out to people on their list. That's why it's imperative for you to get on a list of every broker that you know, and they'll contact you before it actually gets put out online.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I know broker relationships are super key and, and building those. That's actually how I got, uh, we actually said me and a few partners syndicated a deal back in 2017. So this is going back a few years. The way I got that deal was networking with brokers. So i mm-hmm. networked with a bunch of brokers. They started sending me deals. Eventually, one of them penciled out and it made sense to move forward with it. And you know, something really interesting, and I know we'll touch on this maybe a little bit later, is I did not think about the tax benefits of that deal at all. Like It was not even a factor it was not even a factor in our decision making. Like, in all seriousness, it was not even not, not. It was not an issue, Tom. That's important. You you bought the cake, right? You bought the investment. The
2: investment's the cake. I think of tax benefits as the icing on the cake. That's the way I look at it. And if you're trying to force a deal just because you want to save some money on taxes. In the long run, that may be a bad idea because if you bought a deal in a marginal area that doesn't fit your criteria, that there's no value and it's going to lose value, well, five years from now, great, I saved some money on taxes, but you're going to have a loss and it's going to be a suck on your life. It's called ROE, not return on equity, return on effort. But yeah, Gino, I'm gonna save so much money in taxes. Well, come back to me in three years from now when that deal is losing money for you and nobody wants to buy it and you're gonna get foreclosed on it. But I save taxes, but you're gonna lose the deal. So always look at them separately. I mean, that's why multifamily from 2017, I'm preaching to the choir here, but the JOBS Act really lit a fire in multifamily. One of those other things where people saw the benefits with cost segregation. And listen, they're massive benefits. And I love them because I use them. I mean, I have a lot of cost segregation on my tax return, depreciated on my return. But I'm not looking at a deal going, well, how much should I save in taxes? I'm looking at what my cash on cash return is, and I'm looking at my PPU, my profit per unit. That's what I'm looking at. If I can't make a deal, make makes sense post-renovation and actually do my pro forma 18 months after takeover, I'm not going to go, whoa, I saved hundred grand of my taxes. It's not how it works. That is the benefit. And if you don't understand that, the realestatecpa.com, go to the website, check them out and read about it because it's important to understand that there are amazing tax benefits. It's one of the main benefits of multifamily, but it's one of the many. So let's separate the two of those.
0: And we really appreciate that. And so is it safe to say that when you're evaluating a deal, are you even taking the tax consequences into account at all? Well, how do you weight that just out of curiosity? I really don't weigh that. What we do is we do a cost seg
2: study before we buy the deal. So we have the cost seg study done. For us, we just continue to buy and the party keeps going. So like I said, 333 units, 30 million bucks, I own own over a third of that. So you do the cost seg on that. How much is that? And it's not syndicated, it's our own capital. So that party keeps going. So I'm not evaluating a deal going, huh, do you know how I evaluate a deal? Real simple. And this is what back of the napkin for us. If you can hit the 1% rule post renovation, great job. Now, what do I mean by that? We just bought a deal back in January. It was actually March of last year. We paid $70,000 a unit on that deal per door it was already generating $700 a month. Home run to begin with, right? But it was because of a lot of factors. This gentleman was old, burned out, distressed. Those rents today, 12 months later, are at $1,200. So that's blowing blowing 1% rule. Do I really care how much I'm saving in taxes if I'm going to be making $300 profit per unit on that deal? I don't think so. The deal we bought in July of this past year, we paid $105,000 per unit. Now that deal had In place rents of between $750 and $800. Host renovation, once they're all done, they're gonna be in the $1,400 a month range. So $105,000 a unit, 1% of that is $1050 per month. We're doing $1,400 home run. I don't even have to underwrite that deal. That, that deal doesn't even need time to, you know, waste time. The only reason I would underwrite it is for what is your capex? What, you know, what requirements do you need to fix that property? We need to put a million bucks in capex and this deal we just closed in December of last year. Absolute home run. It was coming off a of LIHTC, which is, you know, a low-income housing tax credit. It came off that contract in July out of the 96 units, there's only eight left on that contract. You can go to market. We paid $75,000 per unit on that deal, two bedrooms and three bedroom apartments. Those rents are going to 1,400 bucks. If we're into that property for $90,000 a unit and rents are $1,400, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that that deal is an absolute home run. Oh, and by the way, there's tax benefits. Don't look at it from that perspective. Look at it from trying to make money on your deals and trying to run deals that are in your wheelhouse. We don't want to run deals that are in Section 8. We want to run marketplace rent deals. We want to run deals in Knoxville within three-hour radius. We're vertically integrated. So we take all that into consideration, and then our accountant says, you've got these kinds. The tax savings, great. That's the benefits. I mean, I hope I answered your question because for us, it's really want to segregate that out.
0: No, you most certainly did. And at the end of the day, it's about making money, right? Not about saving money in taxes necessarily. And one of the things interesting, you mentioned LIHTC and it's something we haven't talked much on the show. I'm sure we'll have to talk about that at some point. But from my understanding, what, what you just said there was that, and this might be a, a good thing to keep in mind for people out there listening, Like when you have a LIHTC, basically they have low income housing, so they can only push rents to a certain extent, which naturally keeps the NOI low and thus the price of the property low. So if you're able to buy it with a LIHTC deal in place, it's expiring. You can then push rents to market, pushing up the value of the deal. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Usually they don't even work when they're built. This property was built in 2004. It was so well built how it was. We had brick on the outside. The breezeways had vinyl I mean, the walkways had extra large concrete. There was a clubhouse. There's a pool. It was really well built. And the, the contract expired after 20 years in, in, in 2020, 2023 in July. And what happens is they go off some type of income. And the reason why they work on the front end is they get tax credits. So I'm not an expert on this, but I know that the builders get tons of tax credits. I don't know if they sell them, but then they run them. And the problem is after 15 or 16 years, they start to look tired because rents at this property are 700 bucks. You're not even making enough money to run the property, let alone to pay the obligations. So after a while, contract has to expire. They just want to sell the property. And to somebody out there who can buy this property. And for us, like I said, there's only eight more leases and they have the guarantee for the next two years that if they want to stay, they can renew at Lytech. But the vast majority of them, and we found that out, that was a bonus for us. We can start renovating them and going to market with those rents. And it's great because they're going to vacate those units. They're going to go somewhere else. And it's great for us to just take those property, those units, and just uh, renovate them and go to market.
0: Hey, real quick, if you're a longtime listener of the show, then you know we give all of our tax secrets away for free, from how to use the real estate professional status and short-term rental loophole to save thousands of dollars in taxes, and just about everything in between, we don't hold anything back. And that's because our goal is to help as many real estate investors as possible reduce taxes and build tax advantage wealth regardless of budget. And the only way we're able to help more real estate investors is if you can rate, review, and share the podcast. If you could take that one small action, just drop us a review. It'll take like ten seconds. It will help more real estate investors become tax smart. We appreciate your support. And now back to the show.
3: You know, I don't want to like miss the chance to chime in on the cake and the icing on the cake because we commonly say, "Don't let the tail wag the dog," and essentially it just becomes for for some people out there, some investors. They're thinking kind of in reverse, kind of the order of importance of what I should be looking at. And you just walk through multiple kind of ways to think about how you're looking at deals, your 1% rule and all that kind of stuff. And that's what is actually hard to instill with some people, especially when they're going to look and talk with an advisor. They're so focused on just the tax savings that when a certain strategy might come up, that's all they think about. Okay, that's a strategy. I can save taxes. what I'm going to do. And they get very fixated and kind of tunnel vision on that. And they kind of forget the bigger picture of, wait a second, I'm doing this primarily because this should be a good investment, right? And what's been common over the last couple of years, kind of what we have seen, even in my world individually, is the short-term rental uh, space has oh, gotten bigger. I yes. know you're, you're more in multifamily, so this might not fit perfectly in kind of your world, but really this kind of explosion of Airbnb and all these things Has basically made the short-term rental loophole very attractive for some people. And they're like, hey, I can go buy this beautiful property in maybe Tennessee somewhere, Gatlinburg, something like that. And it's going to be something where I can get a huge loss, offset my W-2, do a cost seg, get all those losses, and great, right? But what we come to find out is that there's all sorts of things, especially for newer investors, that they miss and they forget kind of the bigger picture investment purpose for why they're doing this. And they really just focus on the tax saving side. And so that's something that I think is really important for any listener here uh, or any of your you know people that you work with to be thinking about, OK, taxes are a piece of this, but this can't be the primary thing that drives my decision making. It, it needs to be investment first. And so I just wanted to comments on that. It's super important for people. And the other thing I just want to comment on that was interesting for me was you actually get the cost segregation study done first before you actually close on that. I was kind of curious about that because usually when I'm talking to clients, I'm usually kind of focusing on, hey, we got to meet one of these strategies and then you do it. You know, here's kind of the last day you can do it, but you're actually doing it very proactively. So I was wondering if you could talk about tail, wagging the dog, anything more comments on that, but then also we just, just the Yeah, we, we,
2: we, we've we been working with our guy for, for a long time. So it's right around time of closing because we're going to order it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. We just want to see what the tax savings are. And I think for syndicators out there, it is a selling point. So if you're syndicating a deal and you know you're going to close this deal, a cost seg study is not that expensive. So if you can get one of on the front end, you want to use that as your pitch, telling them, hey, by the way, you're not going to be able to save on your taxes, but on this deal, you're going to be able to save some money from this deal. That's a potential way to save. But Ryan, to your point, 1031s are another interesting avenue where people say, I'm going to sell this property and I'm going to roll it into the next deal. Well, make sure the next deal you're rolling into, you're not overpaying on it because that's going to come back and haunt a lot of people as well to save 50 grand in taxes. But you bought a crappy deal three years later, that's losing you money. So don't make it based solely on the deal. Now, I love 1031s because if you've got we still own our very first property that we bought in 2013. It's a 25-unit. We called it affectionately a little crack den. Now, we've turned it into a nice little property. It's a six-unit efficiency motel on there, so it's six little studios. It's got cottages. It was used to be weekly renters, and we did an amazing job, and we bought it for $600,000. Now, the property's conservatively worth $2.5 So we still own it, there's only 500,000 in debt in there. Now that property, we wanna sell it possibly by the end of the year, only because we have $2 million of equity locked into a 25 unit little property. Now that one, we're gonna be really proactive and say, huh, should we 1031 that one? Or should we just go out and buy another deal with that and the cost segregation will take care of the taxes? It really depends. I don't want to force it because 1031, once again, is like bridge debt. It's a time constraint. You have 45 days to identify three properties. You got it six months to close. Things happen that may prolong you. So don't make that decision based on just trying to save some taxes from if you've made two million bucks, pay some taxes. I mean, if you're trying to thread the needle, pay a few taxes, and then go on the front and buy another deal with that property. And possibly you can save taxes by buying that, ne- that next deal.
3: Yeah. And I, I didn't also want to miss what you just commented on. Well, we would call the 1031 exchange light, what you just mentioned there. Hey, I go mm-hmm. sell a property. I have a gain, right? Call it 2 million bucks, just for example. Then I'm going to go use those proceeds or part of it. However, you're going to go buy the new property. I'm going to do a cost seg, and then I can have these losses help offset some of this gain, right? We call that the 1031 exchange light, or we've got the 1031, which is the traditional 45 days to identify 180 days and all that. So that's a good reminder for some people. And it's it's great that you've kind of mentioned it there. So that is something uh, for people to keep in mind. And I lost my other train of thought. And well,
2: I can to- finish your train of thought. Go, okay. go to the realestatecpa.com and figure out which one is better, because there's a lot of ways to save taxes. And by having advisors that can distinguish the difference between what you're going through and what someone else is going through, because we all have unique situations. If you're just starting out, maybe every single dollar means everything to you. But I can afford to pay a few dollars in taxes. I want to have less stress and possibly you know, less risk. So maybe I can't afford to pay it. And then, you know, doing that, that cost seg may save it to me. So we're trying to be general here, but I'm being completely honest with everybody. We all have unique situations and that's why we need advisors to help us out for our own individual investing plans.
3: Yeah, the last thing I was going to say, I'm looking to sell a fourplex. All of my rental properties are in Minnesota and talking with a business partner, I own at 50-50 with him. And he was like, hey, should we do a 1031 exchange? And he was very surprised for me as a tax advisor for real estate investors, that I would say, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was just shocked by that. And so it's understanding the big picture. One thing to consider for people is, what do I want to do with those proceeds? Okay, A lot of people forget with a 1031, you have to put all proceeds into the next deal. Mm -hmm. Okay, If you do a 1031 exchange light, that is not necessarily what needs to happen. And you need to evaluate how much in passive losses do you have? right? There's all sorts of things. We've got prior suspended passive losses at Form 8582 for you uh, tax people listening. And then we've got a potential of taking some of those proceeds to go buy another property, right? So we've mm-hmm. got all these potential losses to offset some of this gain. And if you evaluate all of that, you might come to find i don't need to do a 1031 exchange with all the complexity and the cost and the stress of those time constraints so just something for people to consider out there again i know we're harping on this but this is a good thing for people to to think about before they just immediately think i'm selling a property therefore 1031 it's not that mm-hmm. easy
0: absolutely you hit it both nail nail the nail on the head um with that definitely put the investment cart first and you know, kind of speaking of that what what are you seeing for 2024? You know, we're here in January. There's a lot of different people, you know, seasoned investors, new investors who listen to the show. What are your thoughts on 2024 in general? And, you know, what would be your advice for people who want to get started in 2024? It's actually
2: interesting because three months ago, I thought, everyone was telling us that interest rates weren't going any lower. Is that what they were telling us, right? Just like they told us inflation was transitory two years ago. And now the 10-year treasury is down below four. It just cratered. I mean, all of a sudden, and now they're seeing rates, they're going to drop rates. If they're going to drop rates... I think you're going to see a flurry of refinances. I know we are. Those three deals that we've done, I mean, two of those three deals are going to get refinanced out. If, if if the 10-year treasury goes to three and you can get a Fannie or Freddie loan that is 150 basis points above, you're looking at a 4.5% interest rate. I mean, it that's party time in, in, in our world because we got 6% debt. So you may get some refinances. And what I saw last year was there was just a huge downturn in volume. I, I think volume is going to pick up a little bit this year. I think there's a lot of opportunity. I see completions in 2024. There's a lot of multifamilies that were being built and a lot of them are going to be completed in 2024. Now, the comment that I made to Ryan before, it depends. It's market specific. Some markets are having so many assets come online because in Jacksonville, in Nashville, in Phoenix, In Dallas, these are all markets where people are moving to. So hence that's why they were building so much. So you may see rents slowing in those markets. So if you're gonna start in 2024, I mean, I'm gonna make a shameless plug, join a mentorship program, join a community. That's what that's how I started. I had life before Jake. I don't know if I had mentioned this to you. I started investing before Jake, and I made a ton of mistakes. I had no map, I had no process, I had the Maserati mics of the world coming to me, showing me deals. And I made a ton of mistakes. For those of you that don't know the Maserati Mike story, I'm sitting in the in the parking lot of my restaurant one day and a guy pulls into my parking lot. He's driving a gold Maserati. And three months later, I'm investing with him in a mobile home park deal. Now that the deal itself, I don't know whether it was good or not, but you know, eight months later, I lost all my money and oh. I blame Maserati. I blame Maserati Mike, but it wasn't Maserati Mike, it was me because I didn't do due diligence. I didn't know the market. I was just looking for a deal. Well, what the hell is a deal? I didn't even know what a deal was. I didn't even have a real estate niche picked out. So for those of you that want to start, really understand that you need to invest in your education. You need to learn the business. I made an analogy this morning. If I was looking at my investing career with Jake and I looked at it as a four-year college degree, we started, I was a freshman in college. Remember, it took me 18 months to find the first deal. So really, I'd be halfway through my sophomore year and that's when I got my first deal. But by the end of sophomore year, we had closed on our second deal. And by the end of our junior year, we had about 300 units. And by year four, Jake and I had around 500 units. So it does take a little bit of time. And that's why now is a great time to get into it because as the market's starting to settle and brokers are like, my phone ain't ringing. When you call a broker, they're actually going to call you back now because they're hungry, because there's not as much opportunity. So now you have the time to network with brokers. Now you have the time to go out there and talk to other investors who have been burned by other operators. And you're saying, I'm different, this is what I do. So you have the opportunity to get in, as we say on the ground floor, and ride the market cycle. It's always the right time to get into real estate if you're ready. It's like having kids. When is it ever the right? I have six children. It's never the right time to have a kid. I don't care what anybody says. And it's the same thing with getting into real estate. I got in 2011 once again. That was probably the worst time. Everyone was running for the exits. GDP sucked. interest rates were high. You couldn't raise capital. There were no deals. There were tons of deals. There was no money out there. But I started because I was desperate enough and I knew that I wanted to get into this business. And very similarly now in this part of the market cycle, it's sort of mirroring what happened back in eleven in two thousand twelve, where rates are coming down. We're going back into a buyer's cycle right now. And there's opportunity. So if you want to start right now, next steps is that education, education, and then you take action, and then really focus on. I'm not here to tell you multifamily is the best investment out there. If you like self storage, learn the self storage market. If you like mobile home parks, learn mobile home parks. If you like retail office, whatever niche it is, just give yourself some time. Don't have that shiny object syndrome that I had before I met Jake. I was bouncing around in every market niche. I made so many mistakes until I said, let me learn one industry, one niche in real estate. So focus on that one niche and just start.
3: And speaking of picking a niche, some people just have a competitive advantage in certain industries. For example, Mm -hmm. it could be, hey, I'm currently an employee and I work for a self-storage company. Okay, well, Uh, maybe you should be buying self-storage, right? Or someone that's maybe currently in construction, right? They're in maybe construction management or something. You might want to consider going and developing your own property, right? You have experience in that, or maybe your uncle is in mobile homes or something, right? And he's got experience, great. He can be a mentor to you, right? Mm -hmm. Figure out maybe you have a competitive advantage as far as kind of picking a niche. I I feel like that's great. And what's really popular, like you said, right now online, I feel like is getting that education. So take what's your competitive advantage, what's the education, maybe gaps that you need in order to do what you want, kind of fill those gaps together. And I feel like that's great, but yeah, appreciate The
2: The, the only other thing I would mention is that there's a lot of knowledge and everyone says knowledge is power, Knowledge is useless unless you have implementation. That's what my mentors gave me, the ability to actually implement what I was learning. What's the next step? Great, Gino, I just picked the market. Okay, how do I get deal flow? Well, this is what you do. Oh, cool. Okay, now this is how you underwrite deals. Oh, cool. What's the next step? What's the next step? That's where I think people lose it with coaching and with mentorship and with these educational platforms. If they're doing the right job, they're not only educating you, but they're giving you implementation and next steps to get further down the road. Whereas, like I said, once again, life before Jake, I'm all by myself. I'm trying to figure it out. And I just don't, I have, I'm, I'm bombarded with knowledge. There's so much information out there. I just don't know what the next step is. Anybody can go online and try to do their taxes. Same kind of thing. What's the next thing that I need to do? It's a chasm out there. You got over 70,000 pages of the tax code. You've got to be insane to want to do that stuff by yourself. Same thing in
0: multifamily. There's a process out there. Go and find and let somebody help you implement what you're learning. You yeah, know, no, absolutely. Education and community support is huge. We're big believers in that as well. And, you know, I've been around your community. I've been to multiple events. I've been listening to your podcast since whenever it came out and uh, no, you guys are the real deal, multifamily and love everything you guys have going on. I know Ryan has a few other things he wants to talk about before we kind of wrap up today. But so, Ryan, if you want to go for it, go for it, man.
3: Yeah. One other thing I was going to mention we are recording this January 16th, and what's really coming to the news right now is in the tax world is that there might be an extension of 100% bonus depreciation into 2024 and even potentially 2023. So, Gino, you know, right, you buy a property, let's say this comes into law, right? And again, this is just coming out today. You buy a new property in 2023, we were expecting bonus depreciation to phase down by 20% starting from 2022 now if they reinstate 100% now we're going back to 100% bonus for properties placed in service in 2023 and potentially properties placed in service in 2024 when it would have been 60% had they not potentially actually get this passed so there's nothing yet uh, concrete if you're listening to this you know months into the future or weeks into the future uh, from now obviously there's going to be a lot of things coming out you're going to see a lot of things online which is very exciting uh, for the real estate specifically real estate tax industry I've been joking online that we're going to be throwing a party with our cost segregation study folks, because they're going to be very excited to hear about this and have that be law. So keep your ears, eyes open for that becoming law, but really exciting. Obviously, that has an impact. We've just been talking about cost segregation studies. The amount of loss that you could be getting from that has now basically a 40% more increase If this does get passed. So this is huge for real estate investors. Just wanted to see if you had any comments on that as far as how it relates to people listening to you or our listeners, anything like that.
2: Well, the first thing that comes to mind is what's going on in November of 2024? Oh, we have a presidential election. Oh, I wonder why they're doing that now, huh? They're holding that card. And I'll even put a bigger one. Those tax credits for employers, when are they getting released? They're getting released this summer. So we're going to have a nice plethora of extra capital coming into the market, right? That's coming out as well. Interest rates, all of a sudden, huh? They're starting to decrease. The reason why they didn't increase in November 2022, they had to get rid of the midterm elections. Now, you may think I'm a conspiracy guy or you think I'm crazy. The same thing happened under Trump back in 2019. He should have raised rates. I don't care what anybody says, rates were going up. And then he came in and said, hold on, the market's slowing down. Then rates dropped. And then obviously COVID happened. But it works on both sides of the spectrum. They're really just trying to stimulate the economy. And you guys know it best. Tax code is written to stimulate behavior. And what is this going to do? It's going to stimulate behavior in investing in this. And it's also going to stimulate behavior in people getting more money back. So for me, it's a great thing. Let the party start. And for those of you out there that's saying it's not fair, I can sympathize with you because I was at that point 20 years ago. I just learned the tax code. I learned what other people who are creating massive amounts of wealth were doing, and I wanted to mirror what they were doing. We all have the same opportunities. There's no such thing as a loophole in a tax code. As far as I'm concerned, it's written in there. You'd mentioned the short-term rentals. Everyone likes to call it a loophole because they feel bad that they can't access it, but they can access that same information that anyone else can access. And I think it's actually exciting that you told me. I'm actually going to get off this podcast and tell Jake. We're going to have a little party this afternoon, I think. If that happens, man,
0: let the party continue, my friend. That's good news. You yeah, know, definitely good news. But as we talked about here today, do not let the tax deelect go up. Please put the investment cart first. understand. Yes, yes. You know, that, that the tax benefits are amazing and it's awesome. and, and I, look i'm I'm happy to hear this news too. I actually missed this today because I've been working. but you know it's is awesome. So is there any parting words before we wrap up today? Yeah, one other thing that we didn't mention today,
2: but for investors out there, just be aware of that Corporate Transparency Act. I I know that thing's going to happen. I know that they don't even still know what's going to be happening, what's going on. To me, it appears as if it's unconstitutional. That's my opinion. I'm not an attorney, but there's an undue burden on that. I mean, a felony and, and the charges involved is like, bro, come on. But it is what it is. You need to have a competent, I don't even know if accountants want to handle it because it is legal. So go out there and find an attorney to at least set you up and understand what that looks like. Cause with somebody with like, I've got probably 30 different entities. I'm gonna be having I'm gonna be spending thousands and thousands of dollars to be able to go back and register them and any any new LLC that comes online, understand what that is. Google Corporate Transparency Act. And it's one of those things where You know, six months from now, we may not be talking about it. They may have gotten rid of it, but I don't know what that looks like. But just try to get ahead of that. And, you know, one last parting word I'd say is it's a microcosm in time. You know, we worry about what's going to happen the next three to six months. In real estate, Jake and I like to say buy right and sit tight. Buy for the long term. That's where this vehicle really gains steam. That asset that we bought in 2013 rents were $300 when we bought it rents are $1,100 today. And if anybody on this podcast can go back and say, I wish I'd bought real estate five years ago in 2019, think that now, you're in 2024 right now. Looking at 2029, it comes in five years. You might be saying to yourself, I wish I'd bought real estate five years ago. Well, now's the opportunity to start buying real estate.
0: No, absolutely. Those are, those are wise words. There's a lot of people I've talked to over the years, the clients that I've advised, and some of them have said they wish they never sold some of their real estate. Yes. And that's often yes. right here, you know, Interesting, because I, it's, I'm on the LP side right now. I'm on the passive side, but one of the things that kills me is like is always with syndicates is get in, get out. It's always I like, trying to flip the money, and there's pros and cons to that. But you know, buy and hold real estate is major. And I just want to touch on one final point here: the Corporate Transparency Act. There's a lot of confusion around that right now. Who's going to be yeah. ultimately? The owner is responsible for making sure those things get filed. But who's going to file the CPA versus the the attorneys? The AICPA is is is, is basically saying it's highly risky, like insurance companies are saying they're not going to cover CPAs to do it. It could be an unauthorized practice of law. And then there's a lot of, from the solutions that I did brief research on, so it's brief for everybody out there, it seems to be the companies are creating solutions to allow attorneys to mass file these things. So that's the direction that I'm seeing in terms of compliance. It seems to be more on the legal side. But time will tell, uh, but it's something to be aware of and take seriously for sure.
2: Tom, I just want to touch on that point before we sign off because it's important. It comes down as far as syndicates goes, what their strategy, what their plan is. I think most LPs have been brainwashed into saying, I want my my money back in two or three years. I want my money back. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. You want to velocitize your money. But if you've got an asset that you paid, let's say, $6 million for, and three years later, you're able to refinance all that money out you still like that asset. You still like the the location. You still like the vintage. You still can see yourself owning that 10 years from now. Why would you kill that golden goose? Because you want to get your money back and put it into a next deal. Now, if you're going to kill that goose and buy a bigger goose or better goose, that's a different story. But most of these people kill the goose and all of a sudden- money's gone because of taxes because of just wasteful spending so just be careful about getting lured into the trap of saying i need to get my money back in 24 36 months i got a 2x you know double my money in 5 years great i've done a lot better than doubling my money in 5 years if you hold real estate properly and you manage it and you run it efficiently 2x is nothing in this business if you do it properly
0: those are wise words and hopefully we'll be back i'll be back into holding real estate long term but for everybody out there who's listening it's there's a lesson in that Gino, thanks for joining us again today. It's always amazing to have you on sharing the wisdom and knowledge. If our listeners wanted to learn more about you, maybe they want to listen to your podcast or they want to learn more about your community and what you have going on. How could they do that?
2: Go to jakeandgino.com. You'll see the podcast there. You'll see the books. You'll see the articles. You'll see all the information. That's the hub, jakeandgino.com.
0: All right, so we're going to go ahead and drop that into the show notes for everybody. Highly recommend you check it out. I know it's impacted my life, so really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to call this a wrap for today. We'll see you on the next episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.